0: Father, thank you for being our God and that we can worship you with our voices and with just the way we live. Thank you um, that we can come here and worship together today. And I pray that as we get ready for the new year that we will be ready to worship you with all that we are. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat.
1: There is a promise in my presence you're not welcome here. I will never say I want you with me. I've told you a thousand times you are not good enough for me. You will never earn my love. You will always be lost. I would die before I would say you are worth my time. Again and again I have shown you. My presence will always win over my presence. Power, fame, wealth, honor, a new car, a bigger house, happiness, contentment. Whatever I give you, it doesn't matter. You will never be satisfied without my presence. Without my presence, you will never be satisfied. It doesn't matter whatever I give you happiness, contentment, a new car, a bigger house, wealth, honor, power, fame, my presence will always win over my presence. I have shown you again and again, you are worth my time. I would die before I would say, you will always be lost, you will never earn my love, you are not good enough for me. A thousand times I have told you I want you with me. I will never say you are not welcome here. In my presence there is a promise.
0: I don't know if it's been true for you, but every time I watch that, uh, when I watch the first half of it, I I find myself saying, that's not true, that's not true, I know that's not true, I know that's not true, and then when it gets to the bottom and it starts up, you know, you start going through, yeah, yeah, that's right, and that's right, and that's right, and if you've seen that for the first time, you you were watching the first half going, what are they teaching at this church, right? Right? I mean, you're going, whoa, this is not right. But then you see how God can really take things and transform them and turn them into something amazing. And, uh, you know, this series we've, we, we've been going through in uh, the promise of His presence. Three weeks ago, we briefly looked at the fact that there are two major themes throughout the Bible, that that the Word of God and the light of God, and that Jesus was and is the light of God. Uh, Creator, Savior, Emmanuel, God with us, and, and the Holy Spirit, God in us. We've been challenged over the last three weeks to stand on the promises of His presence, to wonder and stand in amazement at the mighty works of the Lord to fall on our knees and worship worshiping in his presence and we celebrated the coming of God Emmanuel God with us this last Christmas Eve and Christmas Day and this morning as we close out this series and as we close out the year 2014 we are going to be focusing on the word of God Now I I'm, I'm wondering how you're feeling today you know we New Year's Eve is coming and then it's you know New Year's Day and it's 2015 and and oftentimes people become reflective at this time of year. And, and I'm wondering how you're feeling thinking about the 365 days of the year 2015. I mean, are you looking forward to the year with, with a sense of dread? Are, are there things going on in your family or in your business or at your job that that could, you know, could come a calling in 2015 and, and, and you, you're filled with anxiety and, and maybe there's some fear or... Or are there feelings of joy and happiness awaiting you in 2015? Maybe you're, you're expecting a grandchild, or you, you have a, a son or daughter that's going to graduate from high school or college, or, or maybe there's some, some incredible joyful things that you have that you're looking forward to in this next year. Well, um, there are going to be things that surprise us, you know, we simply don't know everything that's going to happen in the year 2015 and there are going to be surprises. There are going to be happy surprises and there are probably going to be some sad surprises as well. But there is something that we have at our disposal that can and will provide a strong foundation that no matter what we experience we can count on it. Um, it's, it's as accurate and foundational today as it was 2,000 years ago. I'm not sure any of us fully understand the sheer significance that it really, truly has, and it's something that we tend to take for granted, and often we don't turn to it when we should. Any guesses as to what that is? Huh? God's Word. The Bible. Yeah, this book right here that many of us have in our hands here this morning. Uh, Did you know that the Bible is the best-selling, most distributed, and most shoplifted book in the history of the world? Um, 168,000 copies of the Bible Are sold, given away, or published In the U.S. alone Every month
1: Um,
0: And as we begin this morning I thought it would be appropriate To give you a short Bible quiz To see if you know some of these answers To the questions that I have The first one is What was Noah's last name? Does anybody know what Noah's last name was? It was Zark Noah's Zark, right? Um, what 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 is the number of Bibles in the average American home? I heard three, six, ten, eight, four. It's four. The average number of Bibles in the uh, average American home. Um, what percent of Americans have actually read the Bible in the past week? Statistically, forty percent. Other guesses. The answer is 47%. And that number is actually up 10% from seven years ago. Um, Did you know that if you would read your Bible for 15 minutes every day, it would only take you about 10 months to read it clear through from Genesis 1 to Revelation? Um, What percentage of the world's population has at least a portion of the Bible in their language? What percentage? of the world population. 82%? That's a good guess. 81? Going the wrong direction. 81. 97% of the world's population has at least a portion of the Bible in their own language, which means there's 200 million people who do not. Uh, William Tyndale, who lived in the 1500s, was the first person to translate the Bible into English. What did he get for his accomplishment? A, a Pulitzer Prize, B, knighted by the Queen of England, or C, burned at the stake? Burned at the stake. He was actually strangled to death first, and then burned. Um, It seems that the church didn't want the Bible to be put in the hands of everyone without uh, the oversight of the church to interpret it for the people. Um, Where is the first baseball game in the Bible? Yeah, it's in Genesis, in the beginning, right? Um, And in the beginning, Eve stole first, Adam stole second, Cain struck out Abel, and the prodigal son came home. Uh, How many books in the Bible do not mention God by name? Two is correct. Now, if you were not at first service, can you tell me... Oh, good guess. Can you tell me which two? Esther is one. Song of Solomon is the second one. Okay, what is the longest name in the Bible and where is it found? Now, this is far out there trivia, I understand, but it's found in Isaiah chapter 8 verse 1 and the name is Meher Shalal Hashbaz. And then I've read other things that said that attached Ben Isaiah onto the end of that, but I couldn't find an English translation that had the Ben Isaiah, so I left that off. Um, what is the longest verse? The longest verse in the Bible. That's the shortest verse. And that was my next question. Uh, the shortest verse is Jesus wept found in John chapter 11, verse 35. The longest verse in the Bible is Esther chapter 8, verse 9. It's 90 words long. The longest chapter, can anybody tell me that? Psalm 119 is the longest chapter. Um, Did you know that the Bible was originally written without chapters and verses? The verses in the New Testament were added by a Frenchman. I can't pronounce his name, but it was done in 1551. And, of course, you know, if we didn't have chapters and verses, it would be difficult for a pastor or a preacher or a teacher to say, turn to the book of Mark, you know, chapter 3, verse 14. We would be saying, oh, well, you know, get to the book of Mark and, you know, go, you know, four or five, six pages and, and then, you know, catch up to me, that sort of thing. Um, who was the first person to have insurance in the Bible? It was Goliath. Because David gave him a piece of the rock. And, and why was Goliath so surprised when David hit him with that rock? The thought had never entered his mind. It's true. You know, the the Bible is truly a unique book. It is 66 individual books written on three continents in three different languages over a period of approximately 1,500 years by more than 40 authors who came from many walks of life. And And even with those facts, the Bible remains to be one of the most unified books from beginning to end, free from contradiction, of any other book written. Um, it's, its message of hope and redemption through Christ Jesus um, provides this unity. This unity is unique from all other books and in my opinion is one of the evidences of the divine origin of all of the books and and the Bible being put together itself. Um I think that another, another thing that, that says that it's, it's a reality and isn't a fairy tale or wasn't written as myth you know, is the fact that it's so truthful about the men themselves who recorded the words. You know, if, if we were writing myth or we were writing fairy tale, we probably wouldn't write the things that Peter did about how many times he put his foot in his mouth. And the, the disciples would have talked about how great and faithful they were and, and how, how strong they were, etc., etc., etc. Moses would never have written about the fact that he killed someone or that David did or, or we, we wouldn't read that stuff. And, and, and in all of this, we see a unity that is found in no other book. And this is the promises. These are the promises that we can stand on. That is why we can go into 2015 without anxiety and without worry. Not without problems, not without troubles, but facing those problems and facing those problems, those troubles, standing on the promises of God's word. This is why there will be joy and peace in the coming year. And I want to give us four actions this morning that we can take in regards to God's Word. Four uh, challenges. Maybe, maybe you're one of those people that makes New Year's resolutions. Uh, maybe one of these four things could be one of your New Year's resolutions for the year. Maybe, you know, you don't buy into all of that New Year's resolution stuff, but you are a person who likes to set goals, which we all should. We should set goals for ourselves, for our life, for our families, for our children. And maybe one of these four things could be a goal for you this coming year. Let's consider them. First of all, let's stand on the Word of God. Let's stand on the Word of God. Turn with me in your Bibles to to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. If you didn't bring a Bible, grab one from underneath a a chair in front of you or beside you. And um, If you don't know where to look or you just even feel nervous about that, we're going to put the verses up on the screen this morning. So, um, Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. Beginning in verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Could you imagine being the Galatians, uh, one of the Galatians, and hearing this letter read to you, hearing this, uh, these words from Paul, I am astonished that you are so quick, quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Which is really no gospel at all, Paul continues. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God, or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Let's without excuse and without exception stand on the promises of the Bible. The truth of what the Bible says. First and foremost, the truth of the gospel. And, and just to catch you up if you're not familiar with the history of, of the struggles that Paul had, there were the Judaizers in Paul's day who were coming against the gospel. The, the fact that, that Paul said and Jesus said that it is by simply placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Messiah that saves you. that 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 belief in Him is is what grants us salvation. And there were these others who said that no, 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 yes, it's that, but also, you also have to be circumcised and you also have to follow the law and you have to do this and you have to do that. And Paul said, no. No, it's it's belief in Jesus Christ. It's in Christ Jesus that salvation comes, not through the law, not through doing things. And, And so Paul says that is... What we taught you. That is the Gospel. And now you're turning to a different one. Paul says that that, that there is no other idea or description or truth that will save us. Paul is clear. Jesus is clear. Jesus is the only way. Not sincerely believing in something else because there are those who would say, well, you know, what you believe is fine for you, but if I sincerely believe this, then it's going to give me what I hope that it will. And, and I want to use this stool as an example. Imagine that this stool only had three legs. Okay? And, and if it only had three legs, there it would be possible, as long as this side of the, the stool is a little bit heavier, for it to stand on its own with three legs. And, and, and let's say I wanted to sit in that stool and I just sincerely believed with all of my heart and all of my faith and all of my trust that if I sat in this, on this three-legged stool that it would hold me up, what would happen? It would fall, I would fall to the floor, right? If I sat on this stool like this and it only had three legs, but I sincerely believed it would hold me up, what would happen? I would follow the Lord. Why? Because what what I put my sincere faith and trust in was wrong. It wasn't true. It was impossible for that to hold me up. So sincerity of faith isn't where it's at. It's in what we put our faith in. And Paul and Jesus says that it's the, the gospel that we preach to you. Listen to verse 8, Paul says. I mean, he's adamant about this. And it's pretty strong words. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. And he repeats his condemnation. He wants the people in Galatia to get it. That it is faith in Christ. Now, Paul isn't trying to make a name for himself. He's not trying to create trouble or to build an army or, or, or to have his own group of people. He's staying true to what Jesus God said and and in John chapter 14 verse 6 this is what Jesus said I am the way and the truth and the life no one comes to the Father except
1: through me that's the truth
0: And and if you have people or 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 you, know, you listen to, to uh, convincing speakers on the television or on the internet and they're trying to sway you from that message, you need to recognize that that's wrong. That's why we need to stand on the promises. That's why we need to know what our Bible says, what God says about certain things. Paul says that even if an angel appears before you... I mean, I, I honestly, I think an angel... An angelic being could be pretty convincing. But if it's different than what it says here, then we need to take note and we need to stand on the truth of God's Word. Paul says that it's wrong if it's different. There are so many other promises as well. Promises of peace and hope and healing. Promises of blessing and strength. In difficult times, promises that that Jesus is the rock and on whom the one that we can place all of our burdens and all of our cares. In fact, the promises that we can stand on are really inexhaustible. I mean, we could study our Bible every day to the end of our life and not know everything there is to know about the promises of God. We could do that for an entire lifetime, and and the riches of Christ would continue to be unsearchable. It, it happens almost every day, doesn't it? If you read your Bible on a regular basis and, and, and I mean, you could read a passage that you've read a thousand times and it just slaps you up the side of the face and you go, I have never seen that before. I have never seen that before. God teaches us. So let's stand on the promises of God's Word in 2015. Let's also, number two, trust the Word of God for instruction. Now, instructions are good, right? I mean, it's good when you get, anybody assemble anything, anything, buy anything for your kids that said some assembly required? Right? We've kind of gotten away from that, haven't we? Um, because it can be difficult sometimes. I, last year we bought Brittany this lamp and and it was just all of these little plastic pieces and you were supposed to weave them together and there were instructions with it. Uh -uh. It wasn't even happening with the instructions. Um, So, praise the Lord for YouTube, right? YouTube, how do you put this thing together? And we watched a video, and when we could watch somebody do it, uh, we managed to make this really cool plastic thing that glowed, you know, and you could buy more things and make it bigger, make it into different shapes, that sort of thing. Anyway, um, the instructions were extremely important when it came to that. Uh, One of my, one of the favorite memories that I have of instructions. Uh, We were putting an air conditioning compressor on a four-wheel drive tractor when I was on the farm. And, uh, you know, we got the compressor, and of course, what's the first thing that anybody does with anything that they're going to fix? They pull it out of the box, and they go to figuring out how to get the other one off and and that sort of thing. And, and, you know, it's just a a couple wires and, and, you know, some some connections of pipe and then, you know, um, vacuuming it out and all that. Anyway inside this box from this uh, air conditioning compressor from John Deere is this piece of paper it's about this big and it has a picture of a farmer um, drop kicking an air conditioning compressor and it says in big bold letters if all else fails, read the instructions I'm not kidding you even John Deere knows that men, mostly I'm not saying all farmers are men because I know they're women farmers but they would probably actually read the instructions. Um, the guys would not. Instructions are important. We need them. Turn with me to Second Timothy chapter three, verses ten through seventeen. Second Timothy chapter three, verses ten through seventeen. Paul is talking to Timothy, a young man, a young up-and-coming minister. And Paul says this You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse. Deceiving and being deceived. You know, our world today is no different than their world back then, is it? I mean, it, it just our world just seems to continue to spiral down um, and get worse and worse and harsher and harsher. But as for you, Paul continues, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation... Through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture, Paul says, is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Paul says that the Scriptures, Timothy, make you wise for salvation. We can know what it means to be saved and how from the words of the Scriptures. You know, we can know what it means to be good. We we have illustrations of all of this. And and as Paul is giving Timothy this testimony right here, the scriptures that they have are are the first five books of the Old Testament. The, the, and, and it is even in amongst those pages, from all of the prophecy and everything, that that you can know, that we can know. Salvation and be trained in righteousness. And then as we think about the books that the disciples wrote and all of that. This, this, I believe, transfers to all of those as well. All Scripture, he goes on, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We can know what it means to be good. The Holy Spirit gives us the ability and God's Word instructs us in the ways. We will be persecuted for doing good, but that's in my opinion, the better alternative than not doing good, than not being made wise in salvation. Now, don't we all want to be learners? I mean, none of us really want to just sort of stay the same, do we, with the same amount of knowledge that we have today? We, we want to learn new things about life, about creation, about our spouses, about our kids, about other, other subjects in life. Let's turn to God's Word for that learning as well. In fact, the best kind of instruction comes from the pages of our Bibles. Thoroughly equipped for every good work, Paul says in verse 17. That's a transformed life. That's a life that's being changed. God uses His Word to transform our lives. And as our lives are transformed, our spiritual roots grow deeper and grow more healthy. And when our trees, our lives are healthy, they produce fruit. The fruit of the Spirit begins to be evident. Have you ever noticed this? Have you ever noticed a time in your life when you were more patient than previous weeks or months or years? Uh, have you ever noticed a change in your life where you were less critical of people that aren't like you, that that don't look like you, that that don't talk like you? Do you have times in your life where you have hope, where in previous times you, you were in despair, and 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 you can account that to the fact that you have? the Holy Spirit and and the power of God working in your life and He's transforming you and changing you into something today that you weren't back then, that is fruit. That's fruit that you are bearing because of God's Word. Your tree is growing in the instruction of God's Word, planted by a stream of water. You know, there's a psalm. Roy, let's just throw that up there right now and I'll read those two verses. Psalm chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Say this, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither you see, there are times of dryness. There are times of drought in our lives. But when our roots are deep and, and strong in the Word of God and in our relationship with God, then even in those times, our leaves will not wither. They will stay green. They will flourish. We will, we will be able to stand on those promises. We've had some, some tough things happen in our family over the course of the last year. and, and uh, I mean, very emotional, um, psychological things. Really challenging things. And and Sarah and I were talking about this one day and I said, could you imagine us going through what we've gone through if you and I weren't as strong in our relationship as we are today? And, and as, we, as I think about that and as we talked about that, it's, it's true. If, if our marriage relationship weren't solid and strong and growing and loving and forgiving, it, through the process of those other things... It would have been disastrous. I mean, I would have been as big a wreck and mess as, as the other people. I'm, I, I'm, I'm even convinced that, that if that were not the case, I probably would have ended up you know, on the couch in the fetal position. A mess. But because of that strong root system that we had within our marriage... We were able to, to weather the storms of these other things. And it's true in our spiritual lives as well. When, when we have our roots sunk deep into God's Word in our relationship with Him and we're trusting in, in the instruction of His Word and, and we are in a strong relationship with Him when other things happen around us, our leaves do not wither because we are like a tree planted by, the, by streams of water. So we need to root ourselves in God's Word. We don't lose hope. Our marriages remain strong as we are rooted. Our children are encouraged by us as we trust in the instruction of God's Word. Our relationship with God and our reading of the Bible can diminish when things are good, though, can't they? You know, if things are cruising right along, we're doing pretty good and we sort of just stop doing some of those things that we were getting life and energy from because we think we got this. I mean, As human beings, we're notorious for this. May that not be the case. May that not be true in 2015. Let's stand on the Word of God and trust in it for instruction. Uh, Let's also, number three, trust the Word of God for correction. Ah, yuck. Nobody likes correction, right? Discipline. As parents, we know that we must correct and, and discipline our children and we know that it's for their own good but when it comes to our own correction and our own discipline, it's like eh, you know what? I'm doing alright. You don't need to tell me I'm wrong or you don't tell me I should stop doing that because the Bible says I shouldn't. Or, um, sometimes we don't receive that too well. There was a former sergeant in the Marine Corps and he took a new job as a teacher in a high school and and uh before school started, he, he hurt his back when he was working, and, and the best way to, to fix what, what his problem was to immobilize his back, so they put him in a cast from his waist to, to his neck. But, but when he had a shirt and tie on, you couldn't tell that he was in a full cast. You know, it was sort of hidden. Well, when he went to school that first day, he found himself assigned to the toughest students in the school, you know, the smart aleck punks. That's how he referred to them, actually. And, and this class had already heard the new teacher was a former Marine, and, and they were leery of him. And he knew that they would be testing his classroom discipline as the year began. So, so what he did was he walked confidently into the classroom, set his books down, looked over the class, went over to the window, opened the window as wide as he could, and then sat down at his desk. And as he sat there, the wind began to blow his shirt, his, uh, his tie, began flapping in the breeze. And with him, you know, sitting there at his desk and all of the kids looking at him, he just nonchalantly grabbed the stapler off of the desk and stapled his tie to his chest and then went on. Dead silence in the classroom. He had no trouble with discipline the rest of the year. But, you know, we, we just don't get excited about correction and discipline. But, it, but it's important an important aspect of life. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Continue moving back in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 4. Verses 11, 12, and 13. The writer says, Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. You know, God's Word is living and active. I mean, we... We read it at times and it just seems to lay bare our life. It judges our thoughts and attitudes. God's Word moves us towards change. We, re- we receive correction. I mean, it doesn't feel good and sometimes we're tempted to just put it aside and not pick it up again or to skip over that part. Yeah, I don't that's not my favorite part, so we're just going to skip that one, you know, it's it's almost like you're intellectually tearing a page out of your bible and saying that doesn't apply to me. But but when we humbly listen to what God teaches us and the correction that he makes, we recognize that it is for our own good. I mean, how many times as parents have we maybe even said that to our children. This is for your own good that I'm doing this or that I'm not allowing you to do this or etc. So let's trust God's word for correction. Let's submit to him through our reading. Which brings us to our fourth point, and that's the simple fact that we must do that. We must read it. I call it in your notes, delight in God's word. Delight in God's word. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, the psalmist says in verse 2. And on his law he meditates day and night. Now, have you ever had a really good steak? I mean a really good one. One of those that you, you barely have to chew. You know, you sort of put it in there and it just sort of melts and you can taste the flavor. Well, let's say you and I have been fasting for the last couple days and the only thing that we've had is, is liquid. We've had some tea and water and maybe some juice. And we're going to break the fast. So, so we decide we're going to go to Cheyenne and I don't know if they have the best steak. Probably not. But we're, we, we go to the Outback Steakhouse, okay? And, and we order the most expensive steak on the menu. We, we order it medium rare. Which is the best way to eat steak? And and let's say that it's or medium. We'll, we'll go we'll go in the middle for everybody. Everybody's likes okay. A medium steak, a filet mignon, a, a seasoned like you've never had it before. And 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 so the waiter brings it to you. And so what's the first thing that you do? You take your fork and you stick the steamed broccoli, right? And you eat that. No. No, you cut off a piece of that steak and. You sort of look down at the ro- those around you at the table that put steak sauce on their plates. You just put that piece of steak in your mouth and, oh, mmm, you slowly chew it. Not like your Labrador, you know, retriever when you drop them a piece of steak and it's gulp gone. Have you ever wondered why dogs just gulp it and don't, you know, savor the taste of this gift that I'm giving you from my table? But that's what we would do, isn't it? We would, we would eat a bite, and, and we would savor it, and we would chew it slowly. And then, and then we, we, if it's really, really good, the more that we eat, the more that we would want. That's what I'm talking about when it comes to God's Word. That's what the psalmist is saying about meditating on it day and night. And, and, and that intake of God's Word is just like the daily eating and exercise habits in our own lives that increase our health, our physical health. You know, if, if we exercise daily spiritual habits, that increases our spiritual health. And, you know, I think maybe a, a tendency that we have in our life is to, to binge things. I mean, who hasn't... Who hasn't sat down and watched a full series on Netflix, right? You just start watching something and you can't stop. You watch the end of one episode and then you watch the next one and the next one. Before you know it, it's like one in the morning, right? That's a small confession I'm making. Um, That happens. It's like binge-watching TV or binge-eating. You know, that's not good for you. Neither is binge-watching TV, mind you. It's not good to eat one big meal once a week or once a month or even once a day, and sometimes I think we do that spiritually. We hear a sermon like this one this morning and that challenges us to read the Bible, and so we go on a binge and we binge read and then and then, after you know a day or two or three or four, we set it down because we're full. <laughs> And then we don't pick it up and before you know it, six months has gone by and you haven't read your Bible outside of church on a Sunday morning. And that's not what I want to challenge us to. What I want to challenge us to is is, is meditating and, and reading and taking small bites. Not long runs. You know, The only thing you get by running 10 miles once a month is being really sore for most of that month. You know, Let's read the Bible daily. That is a way that we can stand on His promises in 2015. So finally, to get really practical, I'm going to give you three R's. And the first R is, is obvious. It's read. It's read. If you're not somebody that reads your Bible on a regular basis, I want to challenge you to do that. Every day. Start with, start with three times a week. But, but I, would, I would strongly encourage every day. Again, if you read your Bible for 15 minutes a day, it would, it would only take you 10 months to read through the entire Bible. So read. Where is your Bible? Do you, do you know where it is? Is it on a top shelf covered with dust? Or is it sitting on, in your lap and that's the Bible that sits on the kitchen table that you do read every day? I mean, I mean that's great. That's great. Maybe you don't have one. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't even own a Bible. Go out and get one. And, and start reading it. But Pastor Dave, I really don't know where to start. I've, I've tried it before and I, I just have a hard time finding a place to read every day. Well, there's some things that could help you with that. There's some little books in the back there on the back table called Our Daily Bread. And they have a passage and uh, that you can read and they're usually you know anywhere from 4 to 12 verses long and then uh, uh, an illustration of how that applies to our life and that's what we use every morning before the kids or kid as the case may be now goes to school so there's the daily bread you, you could also start out in one of the gospels and I would suggest the book of Mark first read a chapter a day read 10 verses a day you know, our English Bibles, they have captions of passages. Just read one section every day and, and then think about it through the course of the day. Maybe, you know, there's a lot of smartphones in the, in the, in the room. You know, it, you probably have a Bible app on there. You know, if you have version, they've got a section called reading plans. And, and, and they have reading plans for everything. Um, I did a reading plan the month of December leading up to Christmas to to help draw me and to think differently about Christmas. I'm reading one right now. It's a seven-day reading plan by uh, Gordon McDonald, I believe, on on reading the Bible. Um, there's a read your Bible in a year. There's read your Bible in ten months. There's, you know, I mean, there's, there's a reading plan for, for whatever you're kind of feeling like God would have you to do. And, and I want to encourage you, if you do a reading plan, do it with someone else. You know, maybe a husband and wife or, or a couple friends, co-workers or something like that because you know New Year's resolutions and goals, right? Unless there is somebody else that knows you're doing it, when you stop doing it, it just, just no big deal, no consequence. But, but uh, I did a reading plan with a friend and it was, it was great. We kept each other accountable. Uh, When their son left for his freshman year at Duke University, his parents gave him a Bible assuring him it would be a great help. Later, as he began sending them letters asking for money, they would write back telling him to read his Bible. And they would cite chapter and verse and tell him and encourage him to read those. He would reply that he was reading his Bible, but he still needed money. When he came home for a semester break, his parents told him, That they knew that he had not been reading his Bible. We know for a fact. And he said, Well, how? And they said, Well, if you had read the verses, chapter and verse, you would have noticed that we tucked $10 and $20 bills by those verses that we were citing. We just need to read. We just need to read it. Second, we need to reflect. This is meditate. Psalm 77, 12 says, I will meditate on all your works and consider all your mighty deeds. Delighting in it. Now I'm not talking about Eastern mysticism kind of meditation. I am simply talking about taking a loving look. Um, Taking what you read in the morning or at night before you go to bed and thinking about it during the day. Pondering its truth. Analyzing what it said. Mulling it over in your head throughout the course of the day. Asking the Holy Spirit to empower your life with it. You know, you meditate every day. I mean, most of us in here. How many of you worry? How many of you worry? Raise your hand. Okay. That's a form of meditation, you know. Um, Though it's negative. When you worry about something, you ponder it. You analyze it inside and out. You mull it over. Well, I would encourage us to ponder God's promises, not your problems. Let's meditate on that and finally read, reflect, and then respond. This is the so what. This is where the rubber meets the road. Is there something that needs to be changed in my life? As we're reading God's Word, those things come to us. God speaks to us. He he drives that double-edged sword in and and convicts us of things or teaches us things? Is there something that I need to hold to as truth as I'm reading this? Is there someone I need to forgive? Is there forgiveness I need to ask for? There's so many ways that the the Holy Spirit instructs us and teaches us through our reading of His Word. And our response to Him will drive our roots deeper, making it a reality in our life instead of just a thought or a theory let's learn from the instruction and correction and let's submit ourselves to the transforming power of God in our lives this year in 2015 and then I have one final challenge and it's this Um, would you consider taking the 1040 challenge and you you might want to write this down in your notes or something if it's something that intrigues you it's essentially this It's, it's a challenge to read your Bible 10 minutes a day for 40 days 10 minutes a day for 40 days. You know, they say that it takes 40 days to change or make a habit, become a reality in your life. Well, here's a chance. They say Olympic athletes can commit themselves to an inescapable eternity of repetition. Think about that. Olympic athletes commit themselves to an inescapable eternity of repetition. Hours, days, years. For what? For the promise of moments everlasting. Think about that. Moments everlasting. Think about that Olympic athlete in the moment getting their gold medal. Maybe you even watched them get their gold medal. Now, think of all of the athletes that you can remember who got gold medals. I can't remember a whole lot. Maybe a few exceptions just because of the person. But that was not an everlasting moment. But when we meditate on God's Word and it becomes a part of our life, I mean, then we're talking everlasting moments. Let's commit ourselves to developing the habit of delighting in the law of the Lord and meditating on it day and night for 2015. If this is new to you, I strongly encourage you to take up the challenge. Start with the 1040. Get a Bible app. Do a plan. And see what the Lord does as He transforms your life and the life of those around you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this morning and thank you for this word and thank you for your word and how you teach us about yourself and about ourselves through it. Father, help us to recognize how special our Bible really is. It's not just any book, it's the book. And Lord, I pray that you would teach us through it. Father, I pray that you would draw us into worship as we read, meditate, and we delight on its words. Lord, I pray that you would multiply the offering that we're about to take as well. And Lord, may this final song, may the words that we sing, may it be not just a commitment, but may it become truth in our own lives as we stand on your promises. In Christ's name, amen.